Just join me in prayer, please, for a moment. Father, we are thankful to be gathered here uh, in fellowship with each other and in your presence. Thankful that your spirit is here to minister to us. And I do pray that you would guide us and help us, not just to kill the time, but to be ministered to by each other and by you. Father, we actually want to be changed. We want your spirit to come and take these words from your scripture and touch our minds and our hearts in a way that makes us leave different people. And we know that's not something we can do ourselves. So we submit ourselves to your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, good morning. What a week, huh? Uh, Between the election that's coming up on this coming Tuesday and the hurricane that happened last Tuesday, we've had a totally endless cycle of news churning and churning and churning. A hurricane that did $50 billion worth of damage caused loss of life and property. And then another billion dollars spent on this election cycle to remind us that we're $16 trillion in debt. Who can sort that out? I can see why you might have had a little anxiety coming to church this morning. Made me wonder if I should go back and preach the 23rd Psalm again, to be honest. Uh, The Lord is our shepherd. He does make us lay down in green pastures. He does lead us beside quiet waters. He does restore our souls. But there's more to walking with God and knowing God than just being in a defensive, self-protective posture. Because God has an agenda. He is about calling his church, his bride, the people Jesus died for, the people that God loves, calling them out from every nook and cranny in the world. And the book we're looking at, 2 Timothy, is uh, some really good instructions about what to do when times are shaky and scary and people are tempted to give in to anxiety. How do they keep pressing on? to serve and know God. So it's really a great time for us to be looking at this. How do we pass the gospel on to the next generation? You know, those of us that are here who have been the beneficiaries of somebody's faithfulness, it's our duty now. It's game on for us. How will we do with this gospel we've been entrusted with? And that's partly what this letter really gets to. I want you to think for a minute of uh, what happens when your phone rings. Now, typically, most of you have probably got cell phones. Some people have done away with your landlines. But even if you have a landline, you probably have that phone ID. And so the phone rings. The first thing you do is see who's calling, right? I mean, that's almost everybody's natural response. And we have this categories of people that might call. Some, frankly, we don't answer, right? It's like, oh, that, that call again. I don't need to take that one. Some we steal ourselves because we think, oh, I don't really want to talk to this person, but I need to. And so I want to know what, what's going to happen before I push that button. i kind of got to emotionally prepare myself for this conversation so that I can join that. Some are quite casual. Some are people that call you maybe several times a day, and it's always the really important stuff. Like, hey, you know, I'm stopping at Walmart. Can I get you something? And, uh, you know, you think, okay, I know that number. I'm comfortable with that. And I might say, you know what, I'll call you back in a minute or some casual response because it's a casual phone call. But occasionally, you're waiting for the big call. Maybe somebody in your family that's far away from you is expecting a baby. And you're waiting for that call. Or perhaps someone you know has been ill and they're at the doctor's office. And you're waiting for the call to hear, do they have a prognosis and a diagnosis for them? You picture the different emotion when you push that button if it's one of those calls. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, somebody's in a really, really hard spot. 
and things are really difficult for them. And you're glad that they called because you want to kind of touch base with them, be an encouragement to them. Well, when Timothy got this letter from Paul, it was from this dearly beloved mentor, father figure in his life. And Timothy and uh, Paul had worked closely together. They developed this bond of relationship we'll see in this passage. And now Paul's in jail for the gospel. Paul's already been shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead and stoned and been through all kinds of hardship. And Timothy witnessed much of that, was with him for much of that. They had this incredible bond. And now Paul's in jail. And Timothy is on duty. He is where Paul sent him to faithfully carry out the pastoring work he's given him. And now Timothy gets this letter from that dearly beloved brother. So when he opens it, you have to see it's a very personal letter. This is not a letter to the church just in general. It's a letter from the mentor to the mentee. We really want to understand that. It's uh, the fact that Paul is Timothy's mentor is clear. What we have to remember is Timothy was also one of the most faithful servants Paul had. Paul had so much connection to this man. And we're going to see that that comes out in this letter. The uh, passage is going to lead us just through the introduction phase today. We are going to unpack this thing for weeks, take a break, and then come back to it. And our prayer is that God will help us as a church to understand how this applies to us. Some of it is really just a pastor writing to pastors. And you might say, so does does that apply to me? I'm not a pastor. And honestly, some of the things are better fitting for us. So you will learn some things that we pastors need to do. But we only do it together in community, like you're going to see from this letter. But much of it is this admonition about how to keep on keeping on. How do you get to that really tough place and not quit? And that's really a message we all need, very much so. So let's look, chapter 1, verse 1, 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So who is writing? It's Paul, the seasoned apostle. He has been through the battle. He left all that he had in being a Pharisee and an important leading Jew, and he left that behind him to follow Christ. And it was difficult and hard and harsh, and he had every reason to quit, and he never quit. And so he's writing this letter to this dear mentee of his, Timothy. And basically, we have to understand right from the beginning, this is not a how-to letter. This is not just pull yourself up from the bootstraps and get on with it, even though there's a lot of admonition in here. It's the stream of what God is doing by his mercy and his grace. And just this phrase here, basically Paul says, I'm an apostle. I didn't run for this position. I didn't have to candidate for it. I didn't seek it out. God called me. God sent me. I am in the stream of what God is doing. It's not about me. He's not saying, I'm an apostle. You know, I've got this many years duty and I deserve a good retirement. It's not like that at all. It's a man saying, God laid his hands on me and I haven't been the same since. And then he says, he called me according to the promise of life. If you don't hear anything else today, you got to catch this. Paul is saying, you know what, Timothy? We didn't join some self-help group. We didn't join a political cause. We didn't join some social thing to just try to do something a little bit more meaningful than what everybody else was doing. We have been swept up in the very person of God. Not just the purpose of God, 
but the person of God. The life comes to us in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you know it and I know it. I was there when you came to life and exercised faith and it became a living thing when Christ became um, your Lord and Master. And you know the connection that we have in Christ. You know the promise of life we have in Christ. So guess what? Things are tough, aren't they? But don't forget, don't quit being rooted in this promise of life that's in Christ. As uh, was mentioned, Paul's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. This is not a comfortable prison. It's not house arrest where he can just kind of take care of himself. He's in a difficult situation. Where's Timothy? He's in Ephesus. And he's being oppressed. And it's a difficult time. There are people externally to the church that are persecuting them, which is always hard. And we feel that sometimes in our country, in our context. And certainly, if you take your faith to certain places in the world today, places in Asia, places in the Middle East, you're going to know what persecution is today. They had that external persecution. But you know what was even harder, I'm convinced, was the internal issues. The church hurting the church. People, instead of being faithful supporters and encouragers of one another, were backbiting and stabbing and hurting one another and quitting and abandoning one another. And that was really hard for Paul. And it was really hard for Timothy. So much so that I think Timothy was wondering whether to pull back and give this thing a break. And Paul's writing to him to get him to buck up and to stay the course. So we'll see how that applies to us as well. How do we invest the gospel in the next generation? Well, so uh, there's another little expression at the end here. Basically, he says, To Timothy, my dear son. Now, uh, that's what we want to catch how personal this letter is. Paul, right away in the beginning of the letter, is saying, My dear son. I don't think Paul was actually this overly affectionate guy. I mean, from the letters, you know, you read Corinthians and things. He, he could be pretty brutal. He gets Peter face to face and says, You know what? You're, you're off track here, Peter. You got to change. But there's something so endearing about his relationship with Timothy. And he's putting it in that context. And this is something for us to catch because being involved in the kingdom of God and the work of God and the purposes of God is an invitation to do it in these kind of relationships. To do it with people that you really care about and that really care about you. That's how God often moves the kingdom forward. So he's writing to my dear son. And then, of course, he says, grace And peace, which is what he almost says in most of his letters, no trivial words to hang on the front of a letter. Grace being the fact that, Timothy, I'm never going to ask you to do this on your own. I'm only going to ask you to walk with God and let God work through you that which he has done for you. And peace, we were talking about now, between the hurricane and the election and all these things. I'm telling you, if you're in a personal storm, maybe a health issue, a relationship crisis, you know how precious peace is. You don't know how much you wish you could find that peace of Christ. And that's what, as a church, we want to help you to find, even in the midst of the storm. So this is no trivial thing when Paul says, oh, I desire peace for you. But something he rarely put in the front of his letters to other people was mercy. Why did Paul include mercy here at the front of the letter? We're not sure, but we know he's writing this letter to tell Timothy, I know you're struggling and suffering. I know it's hard. I get that. And so I want you to find God's mercy, like that, that cloak of healing ointment that comes from God in the midst of your need. And that was Paul's heart for Timothy. Grace, peace, and mercy. Let's go on in verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, 
as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Well, this is uh, another uh, personal setting where we see this close relationship that Paul has with Timothy. And get this, Paul's in jail, waiting to die. If you're in his situation, how many days would you get up and be thankful? I mean, think about it, really. You're, you're in a Roman jail. It's physically uncomfortable. You're being berated and belittled. And you're not uh, having any security that this thing is going to come to any good resolution. The expectation is you're going to die. And he says, you know what? I get up every day, Timothy, and I pray for you. When I'm praying, I'm so thankful. It's a demonstration of the grace of God at work in his life. But it's a bit of a direction for us, too. Because a lot of times, our missing out on the grace of God and not taking, making ourselves available to that and missing on the peace of God is because we're not thankful. We spend so much time focused on what we don't have and what we don't like instead of being like Paul. He basically was thankful. And he was thankful because he was remembering his faithful mentee, Timothy. It was that connection to that personal relationship that really helped him as well. And I got to think for... Timothy to read this letter. Remember, he was emotionally connected to this guy. He was hurting because Paul was hurting. And he hears, you know what? I'm bringing joy to Paul while he's in jail because he's encouraged because of me. He's thankful in God's presence because of me. I think that made Timothy not want to quit. What do you think? You know, when you realize that this guy that poured his life into you is now thankful because he can't go and do it anymore, but he knows you're there doing that job, and he's thankful for that. I think that was a great encouragement to Timothy. And then it goes on to say in that verse that regularly, constantly, Paul was praying for Timothy. And I just have to say, you know, if, if our faith and our religion is just things like coming to church and, you know, going through some motions, maybe being involved in some programs, but it's not a really big deal, then if we tell you to pray, it's like this extra little duty. Well, I try to pray because I know I should pray, and I know a good Christian prays, but I just never can get that sorted out. But if we send you into battle, if we loaded up a plane load of people today and sent them to the Middle East and said, we want you to go there and share your faith, and by the way, you might want to pray on the way over because people might want to kill you when you get there. I have no doubt there would be a prayer meeting in that airplane. Really, you know, you'd say, oh, we need God. We need his grace and his mercy. We need his presence and his strength. If you're not in the battle, you don't need the kind of power you need when you're in the battle. Paul is in the battle. Paul invites us to join him in the battle. And as we do that, prayer will become a much more natural response for us. Verse 4. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Okay, here's this old man writing to this young man. Now, is this not tender words in a picture here? Basically, he says, recalling your tears. I don't know that uh, Timothy was like this brave Roman soldier kind of a guy. There's indications he had some physical limitations and was sick quite a lot. And there's a call here not to be timid. So you wonder, was that a struggle for Timothy? But at some point, the affection between these two men was so strong that when Paul and Timothy were parting at some point... And Timothy was having to let Paul go into this dangerous thing and himself go into a dangerous thing. Timothy wept in front of Paul. He loved him so much. He cared so much to be with him. He enjoyed so much the strength he got from that fellowship with Paul. And Paul's remembering those tears. I remember those tears, Timothy. I have that in my heart. I know you care for me. 
I know that God has given us this deep and sweet relationship together, which makes us so strong in the battle for God's kingdom. And so Paul is remembering those tears and that bond. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. When two men can be so caught up in their lives and in their cause. And then he says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now, again, that's got to be such an encouragement to Timothy. He thinks, oh, I'm out here. I'm right where Paul told me. I'm doing what Paul told me to do. But he wants me to come. That's going to be said in this letter later on. And Paul says, it would bring me such joy if I could see you again, Timothy. Such disencouragement. Now, next week is uh, Veterans Day. And, uh, you know, there's something that I've noticed about people who have been in battle together. There's a kind of bonding that happens between people that go into battle that you hardly see in any other circumstance in life. And you'll hear guys talk even from the Second World War, from Vietnam. Sometimes when everything else is confusing, what you know is I'm going to be there for my brother. That's what, at the bottom line, it gets down to being I will be there for my brother. And having gone through that battle, these guys will go across the country for that 50th and 40th and 30th anniversary to be again with those people that they bonded together with in battle. And that's what you see here in this picture of this relationship between Paul and Timothy. It wasn't casual. And I know myself, my wife and I, having served in a, in a mission agency and lived in Africa, done some things that other people would say was a little risky. But I know when you do that with people and you're doing it for the cause of the gospel, it takes you to a depth of relationship that you typically don't see in our regular American church experience. It's just what we've experienced. It doesn't mean that those people are actually more spiritually mature or spiritual giants and we're not because we're here in the American church but because we went and ventured and fought for God's kingdom together it just gave us this uniting of relationship and I would say that you'll see the same thing around here some of the people that have um, linked arms like for our youth ministry there's a strong team of volunteers and so they don't just come and hang out at church they're volunteering to move the ball with our youth to see God do a fresh and new work And it gives them a strength of relationship that others who just come and leave after Sunday morning don't get to experience. And so that's what we're seeing here, this call to partner and to walk in depth of relationship for the kingdom. Verse 5. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now we're getting into this generational thing and a family thing. So Paul, for whatever reason, he knew Timothy's family. He knew his mother and grandmother. And he knew of their sincere faith and their love of the word. And so he reminds Timothy of these things. You know, God has been at work, has had your, his hand in your life for generations, Timothy. Your grandmother, your mother, and now you. And you have this sincere faith. It's a beautiful thing, Timothy. And sometimes we wrestle with what place does the church have in someone's life and what place does family have in a person's life. And this brings them together. Because Paul was Timothy's mentor, but he acknowledged your grandmother and your mother played this really big role in your life. So guess what, moms and dads and aunts and uncles? You're on. It is for you to pass this gospel to the next generation, to live it, to teach it, to share it, to encourage it. But it's also right that you include others in the body of Christ in that exercise. It's not either or, not family or church. It's us doing it together. Again, thinking of a conversation from this week, Brenda, who works with our high school youth group, said, you know, she loves it when she has a chance to partner with parents in ministering to kids. Our youth group does not want to replace 
or displace the influence of parents. They want to enhance and encourage the influence of parents. And she said, I just love it when a parent will come to me and we can share together what I'm seeing and what they're seeing. We can pray for that child together. That's God's picture of how he wants things to be done. And so that was kind of uh, the picture here. <clears throat> now this, this intimacy, you know, this multi-generational family intimacy is what God wants for our church. I had a couple of uh, interesting things that happened. Uh, I don't know how many of you know Jim Myler. He uh, does a lot with finances in our church. He's a wonderful guy, like an incredibly serious volunteer. I mean, you'd think he works here because he's here all the time doing very serious, responsible things. So I go into his office quite often for things that we have to do around the church. And if things are going well, that is to say, if he's feeling like things are moving in a good direction and he's pleased, when I leave, he'll always say, go get him, kid, or have a good day, kid, or something about kid. Now, there aren't that many people that still call me kid, to be honest. But Jim can do that. I'm, I'm fine by that. And I know it's kind of this affectionate thing that says, you know what, we're in this together. And we've got a family connection, the family of God. And it's a sweet thing, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, in order for me to keep my head in the right place, I was with a young adult this week, who might even be here this morning. I don't know, I haven't seen him yet. But So it was Tuesday, the day of the hurricane. We closed the offices. I had a meeting with him, but I was trying to kind of keep up because everything was kind of confused. I get a text message while I'm with him. And I said, oh, you know, I don't normally want to break our meeting, but if I could just check this because it might be some crisis. And I checked it, and it was somebody wanted to call, and I just texted real quick, you know, I'll call you, I'm in a meeting. And he said, wow, I'm so impressed that someone from your generation can text. <laughs> And I said, well, what am I going to do? One guy's calling me kid. The other guy's impressed that I can send a text message. So, but, you know, it takes all generations. It's a multi-generational thing God's putting together here at Christ Church. We need our young adults to be engaging and to be moving and to be doing what God has called them to do. We need middle-aged people to do our part and our role. And we need our seniors to be faithfully pulling and praying and giving and supporting all that's happening here for us to accomplish the purposes of God. There are no people in our church that are irrelevant. Everybody is needed to do what God is calling us to do as a church. And it's really the greatest joy when you see that happen. When the multi-generational church is really working, it's a beautiful thing. It's a gift from God. To have friends who are older and friends who are younger is a, is a great thing. And that's what is pictured here as Paul goes through this litany. Well, let's get to these last two verses, 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And so how does uh, this end? Where does Paul end this particular section? He basically has said how close he is to Timothy, and then he says, Now, as I've been remembering you, Timothy. I also remember that God has a special plan and a purpose for you, and I participated with laying on of hands to set you aside for this special ministry. And you have a special set of gifts that God has given you. And Timothy, I don't want you laying them down. I don't want you hiding them. I don't want you just being so tired that you quit. I want you to fan into flames those gifts. I want you to get with the program. I want you to keep on keeping on. I love you, Timothy. I respect you. But I don't want a quitter. I want you to press on. And that's a message Paul's quite willing, even this guy he loves so much and he's so tender with, he's willing to give him a bit of a kick in the pants, isn't he? I want you to press on. Because God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. We're not afraid and overwhelmed by all these things that press in on us. Things might look real horrific, but God is still on his throne. 
Jesus is still accomplishing building his church just like he said he would. Absolutely, until he returns for his bride, the church. And we get to participate in that. So we should catch this. And he gives this little triad there. God gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. We'll talk more about that through this passage because all kinds of things are going to tempt Timothy to quit. But these three, having the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his life, having the love of Christ motivate him instead of some other uh, reason that he's trying to do it for selfish reasons, and being controlled by the gift of the spirit of self-discipline. I wish I could bottle these three things and give it to regular people that come into my office with issues. Or what? Here's a little bit of power. Here's a little bit of love. Here's a little bit of self-control. I wish I could bottle this stuff and send it to my young adult kids and say, you know what? I just want you to have from God, from the Spirit of God, the spirit of power in your life, not being intimidated by things, but not just power by itself. Power under the direction of love and self-discipline. What a beautiful thing. So we need to find out, church, what does God have for us? This month we're emphasizing uh, stewardship as we normally do in November. It's just another way that we engage collectively in the kingdom of God. We don't want to be uh, manipulative about money. We don't want to certainly misuse money. We ask God to help us be good stewards of money. But it does take money in order to move the kingdom of God forward as a local church community. But even more than that, we don't want people just to give their money. We want people to give themselves. We want to call our church to be gospel-centered about the cause of Christ and all the stuff that can irritate us. And, well, you know, I'm not sure if that's the way I like that song played. I'm not sure if that's too loud or too quiet this morning. I'm not sure if I like kind of this or that. There's so many things that can distract us. But if we are caught and yoked together about the cause of Christ and his gospel, we won't be thinking about those things. And that's what this call is for. I think it's a good week to go vote. But don't go anxiously. Go and serve the kingdom of God. Vote as you feel God would lead you to vote for his purposes. I think God would have us show some love and mercy this week to those who are suffering in that hurricane. Maybe God wants you to go to this meeting afterward and find out whether you should join the team in New Jersey. It's not going to be easy. But it's going to be for the kingdom of God and a group of brothers and sisters coming together to be the hands and feet of Christ in that place. It could be a great adventure for you. I think they're going to try to put something together to go next weekend. So if you want to find out, do find out about that. You know, no one ever said it would be easy. I just have to say, maybe we have said it would be easy. Maybe we've misled you as pastors. If you just get it all right following Christ, oh, you'll, you'll have joy, you'll have peace, it's all fun. Forgive us. Because Jesus didn't say it would be easy. And we shouldn't say it would be easy either. But we can say there's life. You go anyplace else, you'll not find life. You involve yourself in the person and work of Christ. And you will find life. And as difficult as it might be, he has promised that his yoke, his burden, is actually easy. And so giving up yourself, dying to yourself, doing the hard thing, you might find is the biggest breakthrough to your life that you've known. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this letter to Timothy. And I thank you, Father, that you've chosen this time for us to remember these things in our church and to focus on what you have for us. Father, we have a great history of being a gospel-centered, gospel-bearing church here in the North Hills. And now it's time for the next generation to sort out how they're going to do that. Would you please mercifully lead us and guide us and strengthen us 
for what you have. And we just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.